welcome to the RoboCast. Your host Mr. Roboto is here to talk about the things he enjoys such as video games, TV shows, and movies giving information about the tropic to his listeners and guest of the week. Please make sure to follow, then sit back, grab some food and a drink, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the RoboCast. I'm your host, Mr. Roboto. Today, I'm bringing you a series that I'm going to start calling 8 Bits and Bytes, where I look at the history of a video game company or series. Today, I'm going through the history of what is probably the biggest gaming uh, company out there right now, Nintendo. And I have a guest here. Please introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Valerio Amato. I'm great. Glad to be here. Good. Uh, can you tell us a bit about yourself? <coughs> um, I'm 20 years old. I'm from the uh, Pennsylvania area, and I'm a social work major, sophomore. That's that's really good. And uh, well, tell me a bit about your history with Nintendo as a whole. So ever since I was a kid, I've always loved Nintendo games. I've always had, like, I had every system. I had the Game Boy, Game Boy Advanced, GameCube, Wii. I n- never had, like, anything, like, the old stuff. Like, I'm talking, like, NES or N64, SNES. But, you know, I've always been a fan ever since I was, like, four or five. So when you picked up, you just kept going. Well, mm. there's a lot more to Nintendo than just the video games. And that's that's where we got to start. In 1899, September 23rd wow. is when, yeah is when Nintendo was first founded. And a little bit of a fun fact, and I think it describes Nintendo perfectly as a company. The word Nintendo itself is supposed to be a rough translation of leave luck to heaven. Oh, wow. So so that means they were kind of like, bank. were they like banking on something, banking on their success? Like, are they like religious in any way? I don't believe so, but it's very like fitting for what, when I think Nintendo, they. <coughs> do take a lot of risks. Uh, yeah, true. So, th- to me, they do tend to leave luck to heaven. And, obviously, 1899, not 1899, uh, you're not going to be making video games. That technology isn't even close to existing yet. So, mm-hmm. what they did was they made cards called Hanafuda. Oh, yeah, I heard about that. They were... I'm not sure exactly what did they have on those. Like, did they have like little characters? They had like little characters on them, and it's really cool. And uh, after, as time goes on, they become the largest playing card business in Japan. Wow. And you know, obviously, they go through presidents as time goes on. But 1950 is when their longest-running president ever comes in, mm. Hiroshi. I'm going to butcher this. Hiroshi Yam- <laughs> Yamauchi, uh, from 1950 until 2002. That's a... Wow. Yeah, 52 years. That is insane. It is. And, you know, time goes on. They keep working. And eventually, uh, 1966, Nintendo starts to decide to, you know, branch away from the cards, mm-hmm. do some other things. They start making toys. To- oh, yeah. Didn't they make this, um, you know, it's like those, like, grabbers? Yeah, it's the like where you. Hand. Ultra, the what? Uh, it's called the Ultra Hand. It's the Ultra one. Hand, yeah. I've seen I've seen that in a couple of their games. It's like an item you can get or something to kind of like 
go back to the past and be like, hey, yeah, we made toys too. Yeah, they yeah. they love to do that with their uh, games. They also reference their past a lot, which I think is very fun. I, I think yeah. a lot of companies would be like, oh, we don't want to reference what we did, but Nintendo's open about it. Mm, I think and, that's cool. you know, we start moving forward and we have their kind of first video game. It's not really. It's more of... So you... I know you're on the Smash team. Yeah. You know the Pong Assist? They made Pong? They didn't make Pong, but oh, they, they made, made a version. Oh, okay. Uh, and that was called Color TV Game. Oh, okay. That's what that's based off of. And there's five of them. There was six and five, which mm-hmm. were Pong clones. Pong clones, okay. Racing 112, which is pretty self-explanatory. It was a racing game. Mm. Block uh, Kuzuzushi. I butchered that horribly. It's a block... <laughs> It's a block-breaking game. And Computer TV Game, which was a version of a game called Computer Othelejo, uh, which was part of a game Nintendo made. I unfortunately couldn't find more about that. Hmm. Time progresses, and Nintendo, well, they're still looking to expand their reach. And one designer by the name of Gunpei Yukoi, you might have heard of him, might not have. No, I've never heard of him. All right, well, you're going to learn who he is very quickly, uh, was riding a bullet train one day when he mm. saw a man sitting down playing on a calculator. Okay. This, because uh, he was bored. This gave him a idea. And he eventually went up to Nintendo and asked, well, can we make something that can help entertain people while they go to work? And this was the birth of the Game & Watch. Really? So he got the idea from a calculator. Got the a idea guy from playing a calculator. Guy playing a calculator, and it was definitely something. So the Game and Watch simple device. Mm-hmm. Video game technology was nowhere near close enough to actually do handheld gaming. So all it really is is an LED screen. Mm-hmm. It's all it is. Couple buttons, and so you can game and watch because it's also a clock. Okay. Isn't so? Isn't that how it worked? Like it would like light up certain parts of the screen to like simulate you, you playing that game. Yeah, that's okay. exactly how it worked, and it's really fascinating to just think about that. And they were, remember, this was 1980. 1980. So yeah, still yeah, leaving they, luck to heaven. <laughs> I was oh. gonna say yeah, no, they they didn't even have like the idea for the NES or anything by then. They were just like trying to do like simple things. Yeah, and. There were 60 of these, by the way, because obviously it's not complex enough to run multiple things. You have to make one dedicated system for each game. So there were 60 of them. And with video game consoles, I found out that they don't like to share the specific uh, sales of sequels. Not like the NES to the SNES, but like a successor that's like halfway there. Say like going into the modern day the switch the oled and the light yeah they like to lob those together yeah so so, so they lobbed all the 60 of those consoles yeah together. so in so okay. in sales there were 43.4 <coughs> million units sold but wow. i mean for like each game probably i'd say like about like a couple hundred thousand depending on the variant maybe a million do, do you know how much they were like each i don't do know, you know but like i just know the units that they sold which is Still impressive. Yeah, it's really impressive. And then we get to 1981. 
Big ol' monkey hits the arcade scene. Donkey Kong. Oh my god, Donk. I remember my family used to own a pizza shop. I used to play Donkey Kong all the time. I could never get past like the third level though, because it's like, I don't, for me, it was just super hard. I don't know why. That's fair. Uh, well, yeah, it's Donkey Kong. I don't think I have to explain it too much. Yeah. But this was the start of a certain jump man, as I'll mm-hmm. call him. <laughs> and he ran around and he jumped, which was actually a pretty big thing back then. Having your player character move in axes mm-hmm. while only being able to move the other two normally. So that was pretty big. Wow. For then, and it was, again, arcades was going hard, going strong. And then we get to 1983, which still in the arcades, you have mm-hmm. uh, the original Mario Brothers, where now Mario has his name. He's no longer Jumpman. And he has his brother, Luigi. And the two of them, they're running around the sewers. Mm-hmm. And it's not like actual Mario. You're hitting the underside of certain platforms to flip enemies over mm-hmm. it's weird i've played it i'm not i can't say i'm a fan really but it's I've, I've played it too um honestly it's not bad but like i remember every time i'd accidentally hit them again while they're upside down and then they just go right back up and i'm like what the hell but yeah, yeah no i remember they used to um i don't know if they still do but they, they used to put that on like the ds games like you could like um i'm trying to think Technically speaking, you can play it now because of the uh, new GameCube, not GameCube, Game Boy Advance store. Oh, yeah. They just added that, right? There's only, like, a couple games, though. I I was thinking of uh, Superstar Saga. Yeah, you yeah, can play it exactly on there. That's yeah. exactly why, because it's in Superstar Saga, which we'll get to later. Mm-hmm. I have a little section that will be going over games, because what's a video game podcast <laughs> without video games? True. And then a year later, there's their arcade version of Punch-Out! Because this later gets ported to the, one of their most influential consoles, which we already mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> so, spoilers. <laughs> uh, but Punch-Out! It's a boxing game mm-hmm. where, ironically enough, you don't really get to see the title character because they want you to see the fighter. So, your character, Little Mac, is Wireframes. And that's suddenly a good graphical way to get through the limitations oh that's interesting because i never saw any footage of the original arcade no so i had no idea i i've seen a bit and i know it's definitely the wireframes in fact i think that's what going forward uh little max smash skin is based off of that original yeah Phoenix. yeah because you could use the uh, wireframe and then the one where he's in his hood yep yeah i remember that i had no idea that came from the yeah. arcade but going backtracking a little bit we mm. have a uh, nintendo releasing the Nintendo Family Computer, or the Famicom, which it's the Japanese version of the NES. That's mm-hmm. the ba- base, basic way to put it. It's the Japanese version of the NES. It released first, and it's a definitely an interesting product. But when they release it, uh, they really can't market it towards an American audience because big thing happens... Video game crash of 83. Yeah, wasn't it because of Atari? It was Atari, right? Because Atari a, was the lead. Atari was the big game developer at the time. Yeah. And, fun fact, they're bankrupt, I'm pretty <laughs> sure. Uh, anyways, they kept producing really bad games, and it yeah. killed 
the gaming market as a whole, it just ruined wow. it. The one, one I can think of is E.T. Have you ever heard of that? I've heard of E.T. It oh, it's so bad. I've seen, like, how you're actually supposed to play that game. I have no idea how someone was supposed to figure that out. Yeah, for real. It's like, I feel like that's another reason why it crashed, too, is because they started making maybe more complex games that it was hard to, like, translate to Atari because of the limitations. So I think that kind of plays into it, too. Yeah. Uh... And afterwards, you know, Nintendo has to think, okay, how can we market this elsewhere? And that's where we're going to be going to now, because 1985 hits, and they're still thinking, how do we release this in an American audience? Or how do we release this elsewhere? Mm -hmm. They come up with the Nintendo Entertainment System, or the NES for short. And it comes with four things. It comes with two games. Super Mario Brothers, and Duck Hunt. And the NES Zapper, which is how you play Duck Hunt, and a little toy robot that's become... Yeah, you just said (laughs) it, Rob. And Rob helped revive... They all helped revitalize the game industry, Mm -hmm. but it was definitely what they needed because without Nintendo, video games probably would have been a niche trend that happened and not the mainstay that they are and now coming up after this little break we're going to go with more into actual games and a bit more of the history that they had so i'll be seeing you right after the break Welcome back to the RoboCast. Hope you enjoyed that little break, Gears. I'm still here with Val. What's up? And when we left off, we covered the NES briefly, but now it's wrong to talk about a console and not mention its games. You're right. And first off, when going over the NES, I think it's a good idea to talk about the games it came with. So first off, notable game, Super Mario Bros., which... Today, you know, it's kind of simple, but back then, it was a lot. Yeah, I think it's a classic. I think at the time, it, people were kind of, like, blown away because they were used to um, Atari, for instance. They used to, like, that old, like, you know, just a couple pixels here and there. But now we have, like, a full-on character through, like, a virtual world. And, like, you could clearly see, like, what you're doing. Yeah, it's really crazy to think and this was in your home too before Mm. then most home consoles were really simplistic this pushed the boundaries a little it evolved what we had and despite the main thing just being run jump and occasionally attack (laughs) it it changed how games were viewed and it's definitely something to remember and now moving on to duck hunt it's a bit more of a complex game because it doesn't use the standard controller. Mm-hmm. 
it uses the uh, the zapper, which is something that Nintendo loves to reference. Oh my gosh! Um, if you ever going fast fast forwarding a little bit, you ever play Splatoon? They one of their weapons is the zapper. Yep, it's like it's the three variants of it too: the yeah. original, then the one that makes it look like less of a gun, mm-hmm. and then they have uh, Famicom colors for it. Oh yeah, I forgot about those. Yep, that's cool. It. It was something, but it's you use the zapper, you would shoot the screen, it would send a signal, and it would register either hit or miss, mm-hmm. depending on what you did. And it's, it was definitely cool. It was, I'd say it's kind of niche. Yeah. Um, here's a little fun fact. You actually can't use the zapper on modern TVs. Yeah, it doesn't work. <laughs> so I think any re-release of the game just has, like, basic controls. Yeah. I would actually really like to see a re-release. Okay, that'd be cool. That would be really cool. But then, anyways, going a little forward, we have the Legend of Zelda. Start of one of the biggest, I'd say, action-adventure series. I agree. I think that um, it was, like, the first, like, open-world type game, sort of, too. Because it's, like, you had this open area where you could explore. Because you had to find everything yourself. You yeah, know, there was no like hand-holding, I would say. Yeah, the first thing you see is a cave, and this old man tells you, here's a sword, take it, go. That's <laughs> all you're given. Mm-hmm. There's nothing else. And I'm just going to say it right now, a lot of NES games kind of have this problem where they're open world, and they just tell you to go. Uh, a not-so-notable game right now, Metroid does this. Mm-hmm. It's so easy to get lost, and I don't think it makes for a really good game. Like, it's fine. It works. Yeah. It lays the ground for what would eventually become an amazing series, but it's definitely one of those hit-or-miss moments. Yeah, I agree. It's just, in modern Metroid games, it's easier, but, like, back then, there was no guide. I mean, there probably were guides, but it's like, you're not going to find them. You know, you would kind of have to ask around if you wanted to needed help with a part of the game. Yeah, but with Zelda, I think it works because once you find an area, it's either you can do it or maybe you should look around a little bit more, but you'll remember Mm. that area. And, you know, later on in these games, they kind of alleviate the randomness, but they still harken back to their roots with certain areas just being, oh, here's the little secret. Yeah, that that's another thing about Zelda too is they they have at least like those little hints like you know like a bomb wall like with the cracks in the wall you could use a bomb bomb wall or you know just random spot that you're supposed to know to hit yeah that too <laughs> those are those are fun whenever they're there uh, and then another one I have on here is not a Nintendo developed game I have to get this out of the way here most studios will not develop their own games. Uh, for an episode, studio rather, a couple episodes down the line, Microsoft, they don't develop most of their games. Rather, another studio will develop their games, but it releases primarily exclusively on their console. Maybe later in life it releases elsewhere. So I think for this, it's safe to count something if it's basically exclusive to one console mm-hmm. or one, like, company household rather and i want to bring up kirby kirby 
Kirby has, I think, aside from Mario, is one of the other recognizable Nintendo faces. Really simple design. Pink, round face. That's basically it. And it's, he's just simple. And he's a much more, I'd say, gentle platformer. Yeah, it's it's definitely like a, um, well, it's like action platform, kind of like Mario, but Mario's a little harder. Yeah. Kirby is a very good, like, starter platformer if you just want to get into platforming games, you want to have an easy time. Yeah. The definite, like, big contrast between Mario and Kirby, aside from later on his copy ability, well, I guess technically now his copy abilities, hmm. because this is where they originated, it's just that they didn't, um... This is actually later into the NES lifespan. Fun fact, Kirby likes to hop onto consoles late. <laughs> it's very weird. He usually ends up later into timelines. This doesn't really get remedied until, I would say, at least for home consoles, the, uh, honestly, the Switch. Really? Most times, he comes out early on handhelds. Yeah. But when it comes to a console release, he's like it's usually late. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird how they do that because you think that's like that's like one of their main games that they're known for too. To be fair though, like early on, I can understand he didn't come in until later, and it's something to consider. But the main thing with him is he has he has the hover. He's very forgiving. Even if there's a bottomless pit, that you can just fly out of it. With yeah. Mario, you go into a pit, you die. Yeah, that's that's why. Like I think. That's what I was saying before about, like, how it's such an easy platformer. Because it's, like, I feel like, cause, especially because of that, like, anybody could play it. Exactly, exactly. And it's definitely always something to think about whenever it uh, comes around. And, like I said, Kirby's more of a mainstay now. And mm. it's quite nice to see. And his creator, Masahiro Sakurai, who is a, pretty much, like, one of the video game greats, I'd say. Oh, yeah, 100%. And I agree. definitely going to be talking about him later on in this episode and later on in the next one. Spoilers. Um, <laughs> and, you know, after the NES comes the, uh, not the next console that they made, but the first actual handheld they made. The Game & Watch really wasn't a handheld. It was an LED screen. Mm -hmm. So by the time 1989 rolls around, the Game Boy releases and... Most of them are packaged with a game a lot of people might know, might not, Tetris. I love Tetris. I think that um, it's definitely a really good time killer. It I is. Feel. Like, I can definitely open up Tetris and just start playing for a little bit before I decide, okay, I'm good. Yeah. I, a little fun fact, it was that the designer actually designed it in a way to be addictive. Like, he wanted it to be addictive so you could actually spend, like, hours playing the game. That's something interesting to know. I didn't know that, yeah. actually. But, and it's iconic for a reason. Like, this isn't a Nintendo licensed game. It keeps getting re-released. It existed before the Game Boy. Mm -hmm. But it's Tetris. And I feel when you talk about the Game Boy, there's really, you can't ignore it. True. I 100% agree. And... There's that's always something there, and also I forgot to mention something the Nintendo seal of approval, which was to help prevent another video game crash by saying we say that these products we would say you can play them, they're good products, doesn't work all the time, obviously. 
Mm. Sometimes something slips through, but most of the time it kept uh, it kept video games afloat and it worked really well. And moving on to Game Boy games. Hey, we're back to Kirby. Kirby again. <laughs> yeah, except this time it's his first release where he can only jump and he can only use his inhale because this was the first title they hadn't figured out we want to do copy abilities yet. Yeah, I feel like... um. I get into that might be also because of the limitations as yeah, well. Yeah, the Game Boy, it's weaker hardware, as are most handhelds. They're never really going to surpass what is seen on, on the market in their time, but that's fine. Yeah, I feel like people, you know, might also like that simple gameplay too. It's always something to think about, and then it's great. And then, you know, we have... They tried to experiment a little with the Game Boy, see what they could get uh, by with, and they tried that with Mario and Super mm. Mario Land 1 and 2. I I remember playing one. It was called The Six Golden Coins. Was that the second one? I think that's the second one yeah. because that's the one with Wario in it. Yeah, and yeah I remember. They tried different things with it. It's very clear that they wanted to just see what they could get buy with because it's on a handheld mm. they can experiment a little and it definitely worked i'd say they didn't keep what they most of what they did except for uh <laughs> characters and even then it's limited because daisy never shows up in anything yeah except... aside from side stuff and <laughs> but wario actually stayed around and they kind of made him the experimental guy because mm-hmm. he has the wario land series with all of his hats and he has the uh, WarioWare series, which is which are the mini game collections. Which get to those. that later. But just for now, it's always it's just cool to see when Nintendo experiments, and it's just yeah, it's just nice. And coming mm-hmm. up here, another notable game I have is Zelda's Link's Awakening, mostly because it put a Zelda game on a portable. Yeah, I feel like um, I don't dislike it but i feel like compared to like the later release but then again you also have to remember i have to remember it's on a game boy it's on a game boy it's not as impressive yeah it's honestly not bad but i feel like there are times where you can get confused to like the first one yeah but again it was the early i can see that definitely it's weird but again it's it still works it's still zelda yeah i agree and overall the game boy it did amazingly well unfortunately i don't have prices for the game boy Hmm. alone but i do at least have the total price fourth best selling console of all time with the color which gets to that a little later with a notable game because you can overlap these Mm -hmm. and the sales were 118.69 million units sold and this kind of helped popularize handheld gaming along with one more game that i totally didn't forget to (laughs) acknowledge shush uh pokemon pokemon i've gone over pokemon before on soundcloud whether this is you're viewing this on soundcloud or you're viewing this on spotify uh there's an episode for Pokemon, and that is the history of all the mainline games up to basically now. Some things have changed because, fun fact, this is being recorded 
on Pokemon Day. Oh, yeah, today is Pokemon Day. So, obviously, something big happened. And if you want to know, check out on... Uh, well, you might already know by now, by the time this actually goes out, what it was. <laughs> but, anyways, it's... Pokemon was big. Catch them all. Mm. And, you know, it's just... It's hard to acknowledge the Game Boy, like I said, without Tetris. It's hard to acknowledge the Game Boy without Pokemon. Yeah, because... I mean, that that's the thing. You, you ask somebody if they know what the Game Boy is, they'll say yes, and you either say Tetris or Pokemon. Like, that's what it's known for. Yeah, it's definitely... You can't talk about one without the other. And we're going to take a quick break here, but when we come back, we're going to start talking about Nintendo's second attempt at a console, the SNES. Can't wait. <laughs> your break was enjoyable when we left off talked about the game boy now we're going to be moving on to nintendo's second console which is the snes you excited for this one very because i would say out of every nintendo console it's got to be my favorite even yeah even though i know you got your start with the later ones it's Mm -hmm. definitely a notable console because a lot of series either most people will say they get their peak or they this is when they start getting good. Oh, yeah. I agree. Um, so, 1990 hits, and this is when they released the Super Famicom in Japan. But a little bit before that, Nintendo holds the Nintendo World Championship, which you're an esports player. Yeah, I feel like that definitely probably propelled... Like, the, the con- maybe not esports as a whole, but, like, the concept of competition yeah. in gaming. Like, obviously, there's high scores in arcade machines, but yeah. overall, I'd say that had a really big influence on esports where we are today. Just for that competitiveness, obviously, there are more games that would really shape uh, competitive, one of which is a Nintendo game. Really? Which, we'll get to that one later on, but... okay. It's definitely, it's definitely one to consider. And then 1991 was when the SNES, that comes out in 1991. And SNES, basically, it's a better NES. Mm-hmm. Runs 16-bit, and it has a better controller, which is basically the start of what would be the standard controller that we know today with four buttons movement and shoulder buttons yeah because i feel like at the time having all those extra buttons like allowed them to do so much more with their games and allowed them to like put more i want to say like moves you know like in mario you can only like run and jump now you could do like a for to go a little forward in the in a future mario game you could like do a spin yeah and you could do um like a long jump 
Yeah, well, which definitely we'll get to that one, especially that one. <laughs> and it's always just, it's incredible to see how well this actually did, which is funny to say because sales-wise, it does worse than the NES. Did it really? Yes, it gets... 41.9 million units sold, which isn't bad, mind you, but yeah. this was before people saw the need to upgrade, really. Mm-hmm. Before this point, it really wasn't seen as a necessity to upgrade your console. You had one. Why would you need another? Yeah, exactly, because it's like, especially at the time, too, parents would look at games and be like, it's a waste of time. Plus, I already bought my kid this one. Why would I buy another one? Yeah, exactly. And obviously, with a newer model, it's going to be more expensive. Oh, and yeah. just that entire mess. But SNES definitely, it's, like I said, it's the evolution for a lot of games or where a lot of games get a good start. And speaking of evolution, uh, Super Mario World. And hey, you mentioned a spin. Mario can spin yeah, now. I love that game so much. I feel like that really propelled Mario as, like, a staple of Nintendo. Of course, he had the first game, but Super Mario World is, like, an insane jump. It really for is. For the time. Especially when you're considering what came before it on console. I didn't bring it up, because I don't really think it's that it's notable to go over Super Mario Bros. Oddly enough, 3, not 2. That's a <laughs> funny story. Anyways, Super Mario Brothers 2 releasing and it is it's like it's in like you said it's an insane jump mario mm. can do a lot more because he has more buttons mm. to work with it's definitely always something to think about yeah and i think that um i i just love the game because i love it has such a charm with the graphics mm. like to me like all those like colors that are popping out it, it's like a, it's a really great game like i would say it's a work of art personally that that's definitely that's definitely a fair assumption like and i can say that about a lot of the snes library mm. which coming up with with mario there's always zelda and zelda a link to the past which is i've never played it but i want to whenever i get the time obviously now college student you think i have time <laughs> to be playing most video games no i'm surprised i do <laughs> but, okay. <laughs> I mean, I find the time, but anyways, definitely a big leap from the first one. And they actually start telling you more what you need to do, which I think is huge. Yeah, I think that kind of gave players a sense of like, wow, I can I can play this game without having to ask around like what to do because it's not as confusing. And you can still explore like they say, mm-hmm. go to this place, but you're you don't technically have to. Yeah. And. Yeah. The game, despite being an NES, not an NES, a SNES game, looks really nice. Oh, yeah. I, like, I would kind of, like I said, it also has, like, that, just, like, the charm that Mario has. Because it's, it's, like, you know, all the colors are popping out. And I feel like what I like about it so much, too, is that you have the little town where there's all these NPCs you could talk to. And I feel like previous games didn't really have that. Aside from, I guess, like, Castlevania. Yeah. But that's Konami, not Nintendo. Yeah, so true. we'll get to one day when I do Konami. And oh boy, when I get to Konami, I have some keywords for them. Uh, then next up is a game that I have played on re-release. I don't have an SNES because mm-hmm. can't buy them anymore. Super Metroid. Super Metroid. 
which I, I acknowledged Metroid earlier, said it wasn't that notable. Super Metroid definitely is. Oh, yeah. Because they, it's still a little, you have to figure out kind of where you're going. Mm-hmm. But what they did was they made like ideas more obvious for you. Yeah, they definitely gave more cue, like more um cues. Uh, I feel like, and like they kind of compress you into one area until you find the specific power up to get out of it. Yeah, and even if there seems like something that you can't get to, like the first boss, for example, mm-hmm. you just take an elevator down. And you're able to find exactly what you need to go and fight that first boss. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's great. I love how it tells you what you can do without telling you. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a good version of it. And it's also a good speedrunning game. Oh, yeah. I see that sped run all the time. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways to do it. And speedrunning is, there are a few noble Nintendo games for speedrunning. We'll get to the big one, trust me. <laughs> we will get to that one. But it's always something to consider when thinking about all of these different games. And, you know, coming up now is something that a lot of people probably wouldn't think about, but Mario Kart. Mario Kart, that's it got its start on there, right? Got its start on here. Be- and the reason why I want to bring it up is because it's kind of the first spinoff it, that really shakes up what they could do with Mario. Mm-hmm. Like, who would think to put the guy who jumps in a go-kart and also all of his friends and even enemies yeah, in it's, go-karts? It's like, um, it kind of gave, like, the racing game scene, like, a more cartoony, like, fun outlook. Yeah. There's obviously more serious racers yeah. today and then. But this is definitely the uh, the fun item cart racer that mm-hmm. it birthed that genre, I would say. And it's always, it's cool to look at how Nintendo always, you know, they innovate. They leave luck to heaven. And mm-hmm. putting your car- your mascot into a go-kart, I would say that's putting leaving luck to heaven. <laughs> and SNES on its own, not too too powerful but with right modifications could be with star fox they had that game it's a space shooter but it had a lot of 3d polygons Mm -hmm. normally the snes can't handle that but with a chip that was called the fx chip it let it render those polygons and it gave it the look it has and it's definitely something to look at like this was the early 1990s yeah and there was 3d yeah, that's kind of crazy to think about how they were able to figure that out that early on. Yeah, obviously it needed the extension, but yeah. it still worked, and it was always, it's something to definitely think about there. And I want to bring up one more game, Donkey Kong Country, and you know it's sequels, but mm-hmm. at least the first, because it looks incredible. It had graphics for the time which were considered innovative mm-hmm. like obviously today not as innovative not as big but back then like looking even looking up a screenshot of donkey kong country it it's crazy to think that that was a super nintendo game and not say a playstation game yeah i agree because it's like you look at it it's like kind of like a 2.5d right yeah, that's, I'd say that's the best way to put it. Yeah, and, like, the character models are, like, 
they like you said they look like they're from like a playstation yeah which that's 32 bit this yeah. is half of that yeah it's it's really cool to think that they're able to figure this out so early on before we got the 32 bit yeah it's definitely crazy to think about and it like i said it was innovative for the time it did a, it was those were imp- very impressive graphics mm-hmm. and it's just it's always a little crazy to think about and before we break i want to talk about one more thing which didn't do well uh in comes the virtual boy which it was supposed to give a new experience mm-hmm. where you could lean into the device and you could play your game so you got a close-up feel uh it felt weird because you were leaning into it it mm-hmm. didn't control well because you couldn't see the controller <laughs> which i think is a crucial point sometimes if you don't have buttons memorized you kind of yeah. want to be looking at your controller at least a little bit and uh it also could cause eye pain if you played it too long and also the screen was red yeah i feel like with the virtual boy they were kind of like going a little too far ahead for the time yeah they they couldn't i mean i can't even imagine like playing my games in all red not being able to see my controller yeah it's definitely not something to consider and i'd say modern vr has kind of made it better because controllers are more simplistic Mm-hmm. with that so you don't have to be looking at them as much yeah and once you get the feel it's like you, you get the feel for it it's fine but yeah this thing did horribly it flopped like it like i said it flopped it mm-hmm. was bad and it sold only seven hundred and seventy thousand units getting discontinued within a year Wow, not even breaking a million. Not even breaking a million. And it just, they pull it off the shelves within one year. <laughs> uh, but I think it was deserved, honestly. But they did yeah. try to jumpstart a few series. They tried to jumpstart Mario Tennis. Mm-hmm. And they tried to jumpstart Wario Land, which they later found success on other consoles. Mm-hmm. But with the Virtual Boy, no, they definitely didn't. Yeah, it was easily one of the biggest mistakes. Yeah. So, coming up next, we're going to talk about the last console of the 90s and briefly the last handheld. Mm -hmm. But until then, uh, we're going to take a little break. All right. Have a good break. Hope you all enjoyed that brief break yet again. I'm back here with Val. Hey, hey, hey. And we are now moving on to the last home console of the uh, Nintendo era in the 90s, which was the Nintendo 64, aptly named because of its ability to run 64-bit games. Which the big boy. Yep. It, this hel- it helped it run uh, 3D games easier. Mm. Like... 
I can think of like PlayStation. It had more of a mix of two D and three D. Yeah. But the but the N sixty four it was primarily three D. Yeah, that's what everybody knows it for, and they are there are some really big games that are still popular today yep. on there. One of which is Mario Super Mario sixty four, which today it controls so bad it is oh, yeah. terrible to control. I bought uh, when it later released the three D All Stars. Have that go. Uh, I liked Sunshine a lot because mm-hmm. I like. Ironically, I liked how jank it felt. <laughs> I liked how odd it controlled. Galaxy was just a blast. I can see why oh, that became a so classic. Good. Then I got to Mario 64. I have never finished <laughs> Mario 64. Never. I got through the, the first two worlds because, mm-hmm. you know, it was tolerable. When you get to that second half, it's so bad. They front load it with all the good stuff. And mm-hmm. the, the end leaves nothing for uh, what you want. It's just not that enjoyable. But it is... It was the first of its kind. Yeah, like, they really did want to... Like you said, Nintendo likes to try new things. <laughs> they tried something new with Mario, and it worked. And it it even propelled future games to adopt the same type of controls and movements. Yeah, it definitely helped better revolutionize the 3D platform... Open-world 3D platformer. Mm-hmm. Like, 3D platformers were already a thing. I can just say, like, Crash Bandicoot, which... yeah couple episodes from now don't worry but he was kind of a hallway 3d platformer i've played crash that's the best way i like to put it a hallway 3d platformer you're going from front to start but with this it's just you go whatever you want and if you know where certain stars are you can get can get them out of order yeah you can um and to go forward a little bit there were glitches too you yeah, bypass certain areas. And this is kind of what started people to begin speedrunning this game. And if I were to pick a game that just defines speedrunning, mm-hmm. it would probably be Super Mario 64 because of how broken it is. And that's a good thing. Yeah, because it helped boost the popularity of the game. And not only that, it really, I would say it's the game that really started the speedrunning genre. Yeah, as a whole. and that's always just something to... It's funny to look at, too, how we had this game, and then we really didn't have anything else before it. And now, oh, hey, we not only birthed the 3D platformer, but now uh, speedrunning has become a thing, mm-hmm. which later in life, obviously, people didn't immediately start it. <laughs> yeah. But now it feels like whenever a game comes out, people are trying to figure out how to break it and run it as fast as possible. It's really funny now. Every time. Every time. And then up next, you know, Mario following suit with Zelda. You have uh, The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, which definitely made good use of the controller, which is, Mm. it's a controller. I Interesting. F- feel like they uh, they overstepped their boundaries a little with it, uh, but it made use of um, all the extra buttons. I feel like Mario did a little bit with like the camera buttons and the the Z button. Yeah. But like this really did. You have the targeting with the Z button, and you have the item slots being tied to your uh, your camera buttons, hmm. which is. It's definitely a creative use for them outside of just being the camera. Yeah, and not having to, like, 
you know, you, you got those like items slotted in those four areas and not having to go back and forth every yeah. time. Well, there it was three. Because they weren't using the they weren't using the top one for some reason, which they should have. That was weird. Yeah, it's weird. I don't get why they didn't do that. But Ocarina of Time helped show kind of more of an open world, despite how barren it was. I'm yeah. sorry, Hyrule Field <laughs> is just your gateway yeah, to you... other locations, and once you unlock fast travel. You're never using it to walk. Yeah, because it, it was such a big, open, barren area. You're trying to get to Hyrule Castle, and you have to ro you're rolling and rolling. Yeah, it's just not a pleasant experience. But they learn eventually. This was the first time they ever made one of these games. Mm -hmm. And they learn. But it also has a bit more of a like influence for story. Like They tell you more of your reason for going out rather than just oh hey here's text blocks yeah no they will take their time they will stop your control and play a cutscene for you to say here's what's going on here's what you need to do and nowadays this is common but yeah. i'd say like at least doing not doing the text box even the text boxes you know they kind of stopped you hmm. not just playing an entirely new scene yeah it was like I don't, like at the time, gamers weren't really used to that. They're used to saying, to seeing, hey, a text box, that's it. But then it's like, for example, when Zelda and Impa are are riding away from the castle after Ganon took it over. Like that's a huge deal. Like the just the dynamic angles and everything about yeah. that cutscene was like nobody saw that coming. And like when either if you're walking up to it or you just warp there, yeah. Uh, it gets darker and darker. Mm -hmm. There, they, uh, there's an active trigger in there for that moment. Yeah. Which I, I would have loved to have seen how they programmed that. I, <laughs> I'm a nerd for that kind of stuff. Uh, but oh, Ocarina of Time, great game. Many people consider it the best. Mm -hmm. I think the sequel was better. I agree with that, 100%. Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask is an actual sequel to Ocarina of Time, which most Zelda games don't do. Mm-hmm. A genuine sequel, they'll say it's like just a new uh, iteration. I think the only like set of games that you can say keep going one after the other are um, the Toon Link games. Toon Link. Yeah, you're right. Because you have Which, like, um, I don't want to go far ahead though. Yeah, but yeah. just we'll get to there, don't worry. And, but this, it, you know, same controls, new world actually, but they, for one, they make the characters more important because, A, spoiler alert, uh, they're all going to die in three days if you don't <laughs> do anything. Uh, that's not a joke. That's not a funny. Uh, they will actually <laughs> die true. to the moon crashing down on their homeworld if you don't keep reverting time to this three-day cycle you're in. Yeah, and I feel like at the time... Gamers weren't used to having a limited amount of time to get through everything in a game. Yeah. Like, for instance, like Ocarina of Time. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. But you literally have this ticking clock mm -hmm. that if you don't do it, you lose all your progress for that session. Not the entire game. Like, yeah. that'd be too cruel. But you lose all your progress. Say you beat a boss, but you forgot to rewind time. You have to do that over no matter what. Mm, including the entire dungeon too. Including the entire dungeon, because I know that at least when you 
beat a boss. I don't know if this was just a remake. I think it was the original, though. When you beat a boss and you reset time, it just says, hey, you want to fight the boss again? And you can, and you get the good area mm-hmm. for later traversal. Yeah, I'm pretty sure... I think in the newer game, yeah, once you beat it once, it was done. Yeah. I know that in I've played the remake. That's how I experienced it. Mm. But it was definitely, at least in the original, more complex. Uh, and when I'm also thinking about this game, obviously you can't talk about Majora's Mask without the masks. Mm. You put them on and they do something you, you hope usually beneficial. I like to think of the bunny hood. It doubles your speed. Mm. Uh, or, you know... They're the pig mask, and you just sniff. <laughs> Not really all that useful. A lot of masks are kind of one-time use. It's very rare that you'll actually find some that you'll keep coming back to. Most of the time, one some of those masks are the transformation masks, which I think I see a lot of people like say that they're the best part, which, yeah. to be fair, they are. They're, they're just so fun to use, being able to turn into these other races from Hyrule. Yeah. use their abilities. I think that was really Yeah, fun. like getting, um, I'd say, Deku Lightness, Goron mm-hmm. Strength, and the ability to really swim as Azora. It's something amazing, and it really only came out during this game. And like I said, it's really good. And if, I mean, if you can play it right now and you have a Switch, mm-hmm. I'd recommend it. Me too. Though I would say I'd actually also recommend getting an N64 controller that pairs with it. Because using the Joy-Cons, not fun. (laughs) And then another game is, it's another Mario gets put into a side game. Uh, Mario Party. Mario Party. At least the uh, original three. I'm not going to go over all of them individually because the main gist is you roll a dice, you move, you play a minigame, you get stars with uh, coins you collect from minigames. So who has the most stars at the end win. Main reason I want to bring this up is it kind of bird the party genre. Mm-hmm. More specifically, like the board game as that feel specifically. Nintendo's repeated it a lot, and other companies have followed. I know that there's um, a Sony, ver- uh, I believe it's Crash did it. Really? After Naughty Dog lost a license. Yeah, uh-huh. I believe it's called Crash. I think it's Crash Boom or something. I don't remember fully. I know it's not the best, yeah. but like they, this Burt did create this entirely new genre, and it's fascinating to think about. And I, I think also having Mario Party also helped propel their other characters as well. You know, like the side characters, like you were saying with Daisy, yeah, and um, Wario, and Waluigi. Even Waluigi. Luigi really doesn't get a lot of love until the GameCube, which we'll get there mm. next episode. And but aside from that, it's just always a good time to sit down, love it or hate it. You probably <laughs> have both, honestly, with th- this game because it's either you winning or you being destroyed by your friends. And then for my last game here, we have the original Super Smash Brothers, which was developed by Masahiro Sakurai. And he has stuck with this series since this uh, entry. And whenever you get a Sakurai product, nine times out of ten, it's quality. Yeah, I think it's, like you were saying, I think it's crazy, like, how for the amount of years Sakurai stuck with Smash. 
Yeah. But I don't blame him because it was a immediate success. It was. And the funny story is they didn't originally use Nintendo characters because Sakurai was rightfully afraid that Nintendo wouldn't like to see <laughs> Mario punch Link. Yeah, I don't think... Because, you know, it's supposed to be kid-friendly. But, yeah. I mean, your main mascot punching another one of your characters isn't really fr family-friendly. Yeah, but Nintendo gave them the go-ahead, they gave them a couple licenses, and then the original Smash was born with 12 playable characters, a couple stages, the classic mode, and this was also the start of another genre, the platform fighter. Mm. Normal fighters, you make sure your health gets down to zero, but in a platform fighter, you want to make sure your health bar stays as close to zero before you get sent sky high <laughs> or down low or straight across yeah. in the arena. And it's obviously nowhere near close to really good. Oh, yeah. Because obviously Jeez. it's the first one. They didn't really perfect it, but it's come along it gave the groundwork for other Smash titles, and it also allowed for Smash to stay on every console because, f at least on like home consoles, rather, mm. because the GameCube has one, the Wii has one, the Wii U has one, and the Switch has one. Yeah, I find it really cool that they that they kept it, not entirely, but like ex almost exclusively to the home consoles. Yeah, eventually they did decide to make the fourth entry. Uh, handheld and um, con and home console, but mm. we won't actually get to that because it's it's, it's just fine. In yeah, it's it's okay. a Smash Bros. on a, a console. Like I don't need to go over every time it happens. Yeah. But anyways, one more thing is the Game Boy Color, which it's a Game Boy in color. I don't it's think I have it. to say much about it really. Yeah. Um. Because at this point, it's just, it's going to get to be where I go over, this is why I also didn't really bring up, uh, like, subsequent variants of the Game Boy, because there's also another one called the Pocket. Yeah. But it's just a it's... smaller Game Boy. That's all it is. It's not really noteworthy to go over certain things. and yeah. It's all the same, really, if you think about it. Yeah, but I do want to bring up Gold and Silver, because those were exclusive for the color. Mm-hmm because they had color to them and it's just it's a good way to at least make someone want to buy it have yeah. this exclusive game yeah because it's like you look at it and it's like and um that's where shinies were first introduced too it is and it people is. are like wow that's so cool i want that yep and it started that craze and i want to thank you a lot for coming along for this first episode because yeah, no we're running the history of Nintendo is a long <laughs> process, everyone. I want you all to realize this, that it takes a while to go through this. But don't worry. Uh, we'll be back next time with everything from the 2000s to today, basically. And I hope you're all enjoying. You're just, it's going to be a wild ride this series. And I can't wait to have you back for that next episode, too. Anyways, I'm your host, Mr. Roboto, and we will both see you next episode. Thank you all for listening. Thank you.